Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. He prayed for our short time together. He hasn't been around here long enough to know that I'm preaching like an hour, right? Jeez, Noah. <laughs> well, good morning, and I uh, just want to remind you of, um, man, I'm a little fershimmeled here. My dad would say fershimmeled, all messed up. I guess it was a German word back in the day. I don't know. That's what he would say. Uh, but uh, I do want to remind you and and tithes and offerings that we firmly believe that uh, tithes and offerings are, are continually worshiping the Lord. The worship doesn't start or stop when the music's over. Worship is lifestyle, and that, that encompasses all aspects of our life. And uh, so um, before we dive into the new series this, this, uh, this morning, um, Noah, can, I'm just a little hot. Can you mind turning me down? Thanks a lot, man. Um, there we go. Uh, I want to remind you uh, that, that we do have a day. There is a day, uh, August fifteenth, man. Uh, there are there are a couple people that are stepping out uh, in in obedience and in faith um, and going for the plunge on August fifteenth at our YMCA. And man, I want to give God praise for that. Also, that day um, we are going to celebrate. Man, I'm sorry, I'm keeping you awake, right? We are going to celebrate. Maybe, maybe I could turn it. Let's see. How about that? We good? We have a saying around here, embrace the awkward because of things like this. Um, Anyhow, uh, also, we're going to celebrate new members of Wapak Naz and the Church of Nazarene that day. We're going to send Noah off back to Mount Vernon uh, Nazarene University, and it is just going to be a wonderful day of celebration. And I really encourage you that this is a big day. Uh, not only for us because it's a celebration Sunday, but this is a big day because it's a, it's a very low-key day um, for entry point, for folks that just don't normally come to church because they're afraid that the walls are going to cave in when they step inside the building. Uh, my brother, when he got baptized, he said, I really thought I was going to burst into flames when I went down. Um, that kind of feeling, um, at, at the YMCA, it's, it's a different feeling. And so this is a really great day to invite friends and family that don't normally go to church because it's awesome, and we're going to celebrate in baptism and communion and new membership, and it's just going to be a great morning. Uh, notice the time difference. That difference is at 10 a.m., so I, I just want to bring that before you and uh, remind us of that. Man, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm excited, but before we get there, man, uh, we're starting a new series today, and I, I've had some conversations with, with several of you, and many of you are already really excited about this series, more so probably than, than Matthew and I, and I love that. I appreciate that. This is a series that we're, uh, it's going to be a three-parter, and I'm sure many of you, like myself, have had people put words in your mouth that you didn't say, 
and uh, it causes some fallout. But we often put words in Jesus' mouth or in Scripture that aren't actually there. And so next week, Matthew is going to bring uh, a powerful message about there's a reason for everything. Have you ever said that? There's a reason for everything. And this misperception that's already in the culture that has somehow seeped into the church, you get what you deserve. Wow. Noah, on the end of the month, at the end of the month, last Sunday, um, he is going to bring the, the sermon, Somehow I'll Manage. He's really proud of that title because I think it's good because we're going to talk about this misperception that um, God will give us, will not give us more than we can handle. But before we jump into those two weeks, we're going to start here with this week. And I want to uh, make note, these are three texts that we're going to jump in later in the service. Matthew 4, 18 through 20, Matthew 9, 9, and Mark 10, 21 through 22. So if you want to pull those up, in your pew Bible, in your own Bible, in your scroll, or on your phone, or your iPad, please feel free to open those up. You'll have a screen later on that shows those scriptures again, but uh, we're going to start here. You do you. This is this perception in culture that has seemed to seep into the church. This idea of you do you, and actually I was really amazed when I googled this what I found, because I, I mean, I'm, I'm not up to speed on a lot of things in culture anymore, but I found that there's actually a, a New York bestseller that has this title in there, followed by making sure you get what you want. You do you so that you can get what you want. And there's a lot of recent, within the last year, there's a lot of artists out there that have songs that are t- entitled You do you. So I was really interested what this actually means because I think we have an idea of what you do you means. Be you. Do yourself, right? You do you and I'll do me. And we'll be copacetic. We'll be good, right? So I I, I looked up the Urban Dictionary. It has about, I was amazed that it actually has about six to seven different definitions of what you do you actually means. And the act of doing what one believes is the right decision. That you do what you believe is the right decision, being oneself. Uh, A response when somebody is constantly asking you questions, but honestly, you know that they're not going to do what the answer actually is. You do you. You do you. The act of doing things that you normally do, nothing more, nothing less, But you do it so that everybody around you knows who's boss. You do you. Have you ever said this phrase? Have you ever encouraged this phrase? Have you ever high-fived the person around you? Because honestly, when they do them, gives you permission to be you, right? To do you. I was really, the Urban Dictionary actually said that this is a millennial. I'm not picking on millennials. I love them, all right? This is a millennial way of passive-aggressively, well, I'm, I'm going to clean it up, giving the middle finger. It's a passive way of giving the middle finger to somebody, 
right? The Cambridge Dictionary wanted to kind of clean it up and like class it up a little bit, but it was kind of the same thing. It was that someone should do what they think is best and what they enjoy the most, what suits their personality. And quite frankly, what you do you boils down to is do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you happy. This cultural idea has seeped into the church and actually become a theological underpinning, meaning that our faith has somehow become grounded on this idea that not only should I live the way that makes me happy, but God himself wants you and me to be happy. I want to be happy. Like when I was a kid, it was don't worry, be happy. And then this generation, I want to be happy. And clapping, right? I know. Wow. That fell short. Don't ever joke like that again. Man, rough crowd today. (laughs) We laugh on the inside, but we're really laughing at you, Ambrose. I know, I get it. It's been my whole life, right? But do... You do you, I'll do me, and we'll both do whatever makes us happy. And God honestly wants us happy. Now, folks, I don't, I don't, I don't want to preach against happiness. And quite frankly, God himself delights in you. He's pleased in you. He's kind of like that parent. And, you know, my parents were proud when I just ran around the soccer field. I didn't really score any goals, but they were proud. But it's like a proud mom or dad or guardian or parent when when their child does something that that actually makes them happy and it's achieving, it's moving them, it's growing them. God is delighted in you. He's actually happy over you. He sings over you, as the Old Testament says. He delights in his kids. In fact, when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. When Jesus was on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he transfigured into his glorious state, he said the same thing, this is my son whom I am well pleased. God does desire that you are happy. But that's not his main priority for you. That's not your highest calling. So we need to break this down. Because if we live our life as if God wants us to be happy, and that is his sole priority, then some things begin to happen in our life. One, we equate happiness with rightness and unhappiness with wrongness when I am happy I am right I am living right and when I am unhappy then there's something wrong around me and I'm not necessarily living right if we continue to live down the road that this becomes our theological foundation in our relationship with God it continues to move forward and we whoops We move from equating that discomfort does not equal God's will. 
that suffering and slowness and uncomfortableness and inconvenience is not equaling God's will. So if I'm in pain and I'm suffering and I'm having a rough time and I've got the diagnosis, then this must not be God's will in my life. We begin to equate this and think this, that if God's highest priority for me is to be happy, then God's will is for me to not be discomfort. I need to be comfortable. In fact, we understand that we come to believe that there is a man's way that is right and we don't think about the rest of it. But sometimes our right ways lead to death. Then we move into this other category of life that we begin to worship the false gods of comfort, of money, of pleasure and possessions. They become sitting on our throne in our life. And last but not least, what begins to take place in our life, if we think that God's highest priority for you and me is that we're happy, that when we are unhappy, when things don't work out the way we want them to, we actually begin to believe that God failed. And not only did he fail, but he failed me. You can see how this can play out in a life. There have been many conversations that I've had with people who have said, I tried church. I tried Jesus. I tried religion, and it didn't work. It didn't make me happy. And they walked away. They walked away with, from a relationship with their Lord and their God who knows them best and knows what's best for them. God failed me. I'm sure there are pews that are empty today and chairs that are empty today and houses of worship all over the country and the world, particularly in this culture because we believe that God's highest priority for us was his, our happiness. And when we were unhappy and when we were uncomfortable and when we walk through the horrific moments that life has, then we believe that God failed me. And we throw up our hands and we walk away. So, I know that was a downer, right? It continues to be a downer, wait for it. It gets good. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. See how good it is? Woohoo! I'm pretty sure that's never going to be on a card you send to anybody. This is what Jesus said. Jesus never said, you do you. Jesus never said, do what makes you happy. In fact, in this moment, as he's sitting around the disciples at the Last Supper, Judas has already skirted out the door and Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen in his own life. He's about to be beaten, mocked, spit on, ridiculed, and take the cross for all humanity. He ends the discussion before he goes into prayer and he says, yes, I have told you these things that you may have peace, but in this world you will have trouble. Lest we forget, he also said, all men, all people will hate you because of me. Sign me up, Jesus. Woohoo! 
Sign me up for faith in you. Sign me up to follow you. People are going to hate me. Then he says, blessed are those. In the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because of following Christ, because of following God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you. Because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Woohoo! Really, where's the dotted line? Folks, Jesus never said you do you. He never said that this was easy. He never said, do whatever makes you happy when you're following me. Not at all. We have to remove this underpinning in our life. God's highest priority is not for you to be happy. However much I would love to say it is. However much I want to believe that. It's not. Not at all. So, if Jesus didn't say you do you, if Jesus didn't say do whatever makes you happy, if God's highest priority for you is not for you to be happy, and if that is not your highest calling, then what in the world is it? What are we really doing? What is our highest calling? What is God's highest priority for us? Well, let's explore that. If you would open up to those texts, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. Three short stories, the last being the longest of the three. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Flip over to the next text. Thank you. You guys are on it back there. Thank you so much. Look at that. Got our guys back there pushing the buttons, getting us right on the right scripture. You can go ahead and hit the next one. Thanks, guys. Wow. Man, you... You can't teach an old dog new tricks, but you can definitely teach teenagers to click a button. Right? You're welcome. <laughs> Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. You can read the rest of the story later on your own time. Don't push the button. <laughs> Not yet. All right. Uh, and then we can go to Mark chapter 10. We're going to jump into the middle of the story, okay? Into the middle of the story. So let me give you a, a bit of background. There's a man who is a rich young ruler, and he comes and falls at Jesus' knees and says, Teacher, you are good. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of goes and refers back to the Big Ten. Uh, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. All those things. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't do this. Don't do that. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. He, he kind of succinctly 
states it up and honor your father and your mother. And the man says, Jesus, I've done all these things. I've done all these things. Then Jesus says this. Verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. If you want to put your name in there, you can. Jesus looked at Stephen and loved him. Jesus looked at Amy and loved her. Jesus looked at Noah and loved him. Put your name there. Jesus looked at you and loves you. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Don't worry, this is not a sermon on tithing and giving, okay? And give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I'll continue just for the next verse. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, his 12, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That is the saddest story of the New Testament. All three of these stories have some things in common. They all have an interaction with Jesus, first of all. Peter and Andrew, they're, on the, they're at the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum, working with their nets, casting their nets. Matthew, he's doing his jobby job. He's squeezing taxes out of the Jewish people. Matthew himself being a Jew. He's turning his back on his people and he's in bed with Rome, making a living off squeezing things out of his own people. And the rich young ruler, he's not on the job like the other three, but he comes bearing his job on his chest. Everything he's worked for, everything he's gained in life. And Jesus, another similarity, invites all four of these men, all four of these people, to follow me. Again, come follow me. At once they left their nets and followed him. To Matthew, follow me. At once, Matthew vacated his job. Guaranteed somebody quickly came and took his job after that. It was a coveted position because it was lucrative. But, unfortunately, we see that the rich young ruler, he was holding on to a few things. He was holding on to his happiness. What does this mean? What does this invitation literally mean? This invitation, follow me, literally means come here after me. Come here after me. Scripture says, the Lord goes before us, and he comes behind us, literally following Jesus so close. In other words, to simplify it, Jesus is literally saying, do as I do. Not as what culture says, you do you, but Jesus says, do 
as I do. You can be like me. Back in the day, it was be like Mike. I don't know if it's be like LeBron today. I don't know. Maybe not. Okay, apparently not. Noted. (laughs) But it literally means do as I do. Go as I go. Live as I live. Be as I am. What a difference between what Jesus says and what culture says. Culture says, do as I do, or you be you. Do whatever makes you happy. Jesus says, be as I am. Live as I am. Go as I go. Do as I do. In fact, Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be complete. Peter kind of revises a little bit, touches in it, and says, because just as he, Jesus, who called you, is holy. Be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy as I am holy. And, and, and Paul clears it up, even simplifies it. He says, and we are being transformed into his likeness, Christ-likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Jesus invites us When he says, follow me, he literally says, come here after me. Be as I am, do as I do, live as I live, go where I go. You can be holy. So, bottom line, you do you, do whatever makes you happy, it's in conflict. If we are carrying that theological bag on our backs, it is in direct conflict with what Jesus is telling us. So Peter, Andrew, Matthew, what do they do? They literally leave behind what has been feeding them in their bellies, keeping their family good and secure. It has been, they leave behind what is their productivity. They take the risk. They step out and they follow after Christ. God's highest priority is not your happiness. His priority for you is his presence. Folks, it's him. It's his holiness. It's his character. It's him in your life. As you walk through life, remember, don't forget, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Guess what? That doesn't just apply to church folk. It applies to everybody. Because every one of us have experienced trouble in our own life. The shape and size may be different. What it may feel like may be different for each and every one of us. But trouble is trouble no matter where you go. But God's highest priority for you is his presence in your life as you walk through life. In other words, he wants you blessed. Now, please, don't equate blessed with financial blessing. This is not prosperity gospel, folks. You give $1,000, God will multiply it by 10000 No. You can earn your way into heaven. Just pay the tithe. No. No, 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 no. 
There is no prosperity gospel here in this place. And there is no prosperity gospel in Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. The fact that he sacrificed and laid down his body should tell us that there is suffering in this life and following him. But blessed, blessed means a little bit more than what we think it means. It actually means more than happy. More than happy. Are you kidding me? There's something more than happy? What is it? Because I want it. Do you want it? Oh, thank you. Taking the place of Jim Johnson waking up from a dead stupor. Amen. Thank you. Next week, you just need to be in the far back pew. Jeez. It's <laughs> great. Blessed is more than happy. In fact, I like, it, I like to call it beyond happy. He wants for you to have beyond happy. And what I mean is, if his highest priority for you is his presence in your life, that means when the storm comes, when hell is actually on your doorstep, and you're experiencing hellish circumstances, you are experiencing the presence of God. You are walking through circumstances beyond happy, meaning... You are experiencing joy that doesn't make sense. You are experiencing the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. You learn to be content. Oh, happiness and contentment are two very different things. You learn to filter your life not through emotion because what? Happiness is an emotion. You're designed to experience that emotion but you are not designed to filter life and decisions through happiness. Because happiness is based on happenings, and happenings shift and change all the time. So if you filter life through happiness, you're filtering it through your emotions that go up and down and up and down and up and down. What does that say about those who are dealing with depression and mental health issues? If I'm depressed, then that means God's not in my life. That's a lie. That's incorrect. That's falsehood. Because we built our life on the fact that we think that God wants us happy. He doesn't. He wants his presence in your life so that you can experience beyond happy, more than happy, peace and joy and holiness, contentment, and grace and mercy Things that you cannot generate naturally. They come supernaturally by the presence of God. In those moments, you experience the goodness of God when everything around you feels so terrible and look like everything is falling apart. The goodness of God is there. That is you being blessed. The goodness of God in your life. So, Back to the rich young ruler for a second. Jesus said the same thing to him. Come follow me. Now, I want to be very clear. God does not ask every individual to go and sell everything 
and sell it, give it to the poor. He doesn't. This is the one individual in Scripture that he said that to. Zacchaeus had a different response. Jesus didn't ask him to do any of that. But as a result of his interaction and engagement with God, there was this internal transformation. And Zacchaeus said, man, I'm going to pay back four times that I've stolen. And anybody that I've stolen from, man, they're going to get it. They're going to get it back. That was an internal transformation because he met the Son of God. The reason that Jesus told this man to go and sell everything and give it to the poor is twofold. One, this man thought he was living out the instruction of the law. I was doing this, and I was doing this, and I was doing this, and I was doing this. I'm good. What, what, what else must I do? Because I don't have it. He was missing the intent. There's the instruction, but there's the intent behind the instruction. And the intent behind the instruction was, as Jesus said, he summed up the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what? The rich young ruler was loving himself. The rich young ruler was him doing him, doing what made him happy. And he was doing that without other people benefiting from his wealth. He was forgetting his neighbor. He was loving himself really well, but he forgot his neighbor. The other aspect, following Christ, living a life out in faith, is living as if you truly are a citizen of heaven. I know we're grounded. My feet are firmly planted on this carpet. Your derriers are firmly planted on the pew. You ain't going anywhere right now. It's really hard to understand that we are citizens of something much greater than we are living. Jesus understood that this man was attached to his happiness. And that he was trying to get eternal fulfillment through earthly pleasure. That's why Jesus said, go and cut ties. Cut ties. Then, when you cut ties and you help your fellow man, come and follow me. I want you as one of my own. I want you right here, right beside me. Come here after me. Be as I am. Do as I do. Live as I live. And at this man walked away sad. Not because necessarily because he had great wealth. He wasn't willing to cut ties. Because sometimes when you say yes to the Lord. You have to detach yourself from the things that make you happy. Now, I'm not saying you can't have your morning coffee. Because if that were the case, man alive. My life would not be happy. 
But there are things, because I drink a lot of coffee, there are things that will choose over his presence. There are things that will choose over holiness. There are things that will choose because there are happiness while forsaking beyond that happiness. We think the trade-off is less, but the gain is more. The gain is so much more. It's beyond happy. And in that, guess what you'll experience? Yeah, you'll experience happiness. Isn't that strange? Isn't that weird? Isn't that ironic? I think it is. When you exchange happiness for beyond happy, guess what? You still experience happiness. But you experience so much more because happiness is an immediate payout, joy, contentment, peace, holiness. Man, that's an investment that pays dividends throughout life and into eternity. Now that is amazing. So, if anyone come after me, anyone follow me, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Consider the cost for whoever wants to save his or her life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me find it. What good will it be for a person if he or she gains the whole world? Let me rephrase that. What good will it be for a person to pursue happiness their whole life yet forfeits their soul? Your soul is God's priority. Not your possessions. Not your comfort. Not your happiness. So, we're left with the invitation. Because what pursuing happiness does, it actually can ruin a lot of lives. I don't have this in my notes, but I've been, I've been actually watching a lot of biographies of wrestlers from my childhood. Man, it's been great. You know, Andre the Giant. The Hulk, Macho Man Randy Savage, it's awesome. Stone Cold. It's been really intriguing watching the roots of these wrestlers and the price that they paid. And they all had one thing that they wanted. They wanted to be at the top. They really did. I mean, sleeping in your car, driving four hours to a wrestling event, and you only get paid 10 bucks, and you're living in your car, you're not eating, you're eating tuna and potatoes, and then eventually you're eating potatoes raw. Maybe that's how they got the name raw back in the day. I don't know. Sounds like a good thing. But there's one thing that I've noticed in common with most, not all, most, most of these wrestlers 
is that they worked so hard to climb to the top that they weren't looking back at the wake and the damage behind them, the fallout with their kids and their spouses, the things that they were doing in order to just deal with pain. And once they got to the top, they had to sustain the top for as long as possible. Yet, when the top was pulled out from under them, they really did hit bottom. And they had to deal with the reality of life and where they were and who they were, who they forgot they were. And these people that I watched on the screen every Saturday, man, the cost. God wants you to be happy, but he doesn't want you to be happy if it causes you to be morally and ethically and spiritually out of alignment with him. And he doesn't want you to be happy if it means there's immense fallout for you choosing that happiness. Choose his presence and his holiness and he'll work through it. You'll get perspective and understanding that you will never get alone in your pursuit for happiness. So Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. That's what the pursuit of happiness brings. Weariness and burdensome. And I will give you rest. Not rest of the body, necessarily, but rest of your soul. Are you tired? Are you tired? Are you tired? He says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. Come here after me. For I am gentle and I am humble. Pursuit of happiness has a way of chewing you up and spitting you out. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Is your happiness a barrier to holiness? Are you tired of running after it? Are you weary? Has it burdened you? Has it left a wake behind you? Carnage, fallout, shrapnel, lives broken for whatever happiness you have sought after. I don't know what that is, but I can tell you there is no time than right now to start doing the right thing. And the right thing is not the happy thing, it's the holy thing. It's the godly thing. And that is taking up the invitation. The invitation of Christ who says, come here after me. Be as I am. Do as I do. You will discover you and how great you are when you do that, would you mind bowing your heads?
That invitation is for you right now to do the right thing, which is the holy thing, which is the godly thing, and to follow after him. He invites you. He looks at you and he loves you. Just like he loved the rich young ruler. He loves you. And he wants the best for you and that is beyond happy. That is blessed. So very simply, will you give him your life today? Where you are, no matter the fallout that has happened, cut ties, cut attachments, choose the greater, choose more than less. And I invite you to pray along with me. Very simple. It's not complicated. It's not the whole conversation, but it's succinct. Jesus, I give you my life. That's everything. I give you my life. Jesus, forgive me my sins. I give you my life. Lord, please give me yours. Help me be as you are. Help me live as you live. Help me do as as you do. Help me go where you go. Help me be tender to your spirit. Convict me. Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you, I I want you to proclaim that today. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm just going to ask that you lift your head, you open your eyes, and you raise your hand. Jesus, I give you my life. And if you have been pursuing happiness and you know that there's something in your life that is that that representation and it has created a lot of fallout in your life your pursuit has been everything but holy I'd like for you to just raise your hand praise God praise God acknowledge that and let invite God into that because he wants your, his goodness in your life. Heavenly Father, for those that raise their hand, I thank you. You're working in their heart and they're being responsive. It's what we've been praying. We know you move. We pray that we move in response to you. And so may those who raise their hand, who's been in pursuit of something that is less than what you have for them, Lord, may today they begin in your strength with your help. May they invite you in. And may they experience the goodness of God because you are good. Regardless of the hell that is around us, you are good. Regardless of the diagnosis, regardless of rebelling in our family, regardless of the jobless situation or the financial situation, you still are good. You will always be good. You have never changed. You will be the same. You are who you were, and you will be who you are. And I praise you for that. May we stand firm on your goodness. 
may we allow you to do those things in our soul that you desire to do. We are open, and we have invited you in. Tender us to your spirit. Convict us, and may we be quick to repent and turn from our ways. Not because we're obligated, but because we love you, and we are loved by you. I praise you, Jesus. I thank you. It's in your name we ask today. Amen. Would you please stand? Thank you for listening to the Wapaknaz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.